Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I got this letter from Manchester Royal Infirmary saying they wanted this in for, for, for Friday morning. And I... Tears rolled down my face. I was getting a chance to live. A life, you know. Welcome to the Adventure Podcast and this episode with Joss Naylor. Before I get properly into who Joss is, I need to mention that we recorded this conversation in November 2021, but delayed its release due to Joss suffering a stroke just before Christmas. He's now recovering at his daughter's home in Gosforth, and he's in good spirits, but is on a long road to recovery. Apparently he's still the same old Joss, in inverted commas, and I've been in touch with his friends to get permission to release this episode, as obviously the conversation happened before such a radical change to Joss's life. But this particular conversation is still extremely relevant and poignant. For those of you who need an introduction to Joss, he is, and I use this word extremely specifically, a legend in the fellow running community. He hails from the remote Wasdell Valley in the Lake District, and Joss has not just been a pioneer of fell running, but also one of its most infamous athletes. To try to explain in a podcast introduction Joss's life, his way of being, and his contribution to fell running and the fells around him is borderline impossible. But I hope that Joss goes some way to doing the job himself. This is not necessarily the most cheery of podcasts, but it is honest, it's real, and I think it's a pretty important timestamp on a place and a type of person that we're at risk of leaving behind. Before we begin, I'd like to talk to you about Sidetrack Magazine, our sister publication. Sidetracked is an incredible quarterly journal that celebrates authentic stories of adventure and exploration. The same as us, they're big believers in story over hype, and their written words and incredible images have been a huge inspiration for me over the years, and you can find out more at sidetrack.com. I'd also like to take a moment to push you in the direction of our charitable partner, the Martin Moran Foundation. They're an incredible organisation working to get young people from disadvantaged backgrounds into the outdoors. There's a good chance that if you're listening to this, then you have an appreciation for the natural world already, but we are the lucky ones, and you can find information about how you can support them on our Instagram bio at The Adventure Podcast. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, then please do subscribe on iTunes and leave us an honest review. They do help us bring the podcast to a wider audience. Okay, over to Joss Naylor. Can you tell me a bit about where you're from and what life was like for you growing up? Aye, well, I was brought up in uh, Wasled, you know, in a farm called Middle Row. And uh, the first thing I can remember was about 1939, you know, when the big flood was on and going down to see the damage it had done at Brackenclose. Because in in that uh, First World War, the Italians and German prisoners, you know, they'd put a a river course in from nearly just above the lake, right up to nearly past Brackenclose. And they'd put a concrete bridge in, just below the, below where the wooden bridge is now. And uh, in that big flood, it filled the whole river course up that they put in, and it washed past the bridge and went down that field, which it still looks like. And uh, you can't tell where that course is. You could tell where the bridge had been because it was a concrete bridge and uh, the shape the bridge was looking out and the National Trust took it off like so. They destroyed part of our heritage. 
you know, no locals had a chance to say they shouldn't do it, but they did. You know, it was life. And you can hardly tell where that course had been. There might be, you know, a bit of the wall left at places in uh, just about opposite Brackenclose, but all the other it filled in with, you know, rubble and that from where the wash would be in the back of Lingmail, like. And it would have been on a bit of a bend. It started filling in. It just covered a lot of it up, yeah. which, you know, was a short piece. So, How old were you then? I was only about three years old, and one of the maids took us down in a wheelchair, and I can just imagine, you know, it was just something that stood out in my mind. And I can only remember just going from the corner where you turn into the, yeah, new, it was sort of a fairly new road across to the Wasled Hall at that time, like, because they used to go up to the old school, down the common. That was sort of the way in with in carts, like, you know, and weather was bad until they put that uh, bridge in in 1418 war. And, you know, things changed. And then they built Bracken Close, you know, about that time as well, like... Uh, so what was life like growing up there? I, well, you know, you sort of, I, I was a, a bit behind the others, I was afterthought. And, you know, me other two brothers and sisters, they were seven or eight years older than me. And, uh, you know, I... I I had one of my cousins come up from London as a back away. I mean, it was all right, you know, somebody to play with and someone to get in mischief with. And we used to do all sorts of things, you know. And we had a, a couple of terriers, you know, one was called Nell and the other called Spot. And they used to hunt rabbits, like, you know, we used to take them for walks in Crabdale and, you know, catch tadpoles and, you know, do all sorts of things and get into quite a bit of mischief as well, like, you know. But if we didn't be here, we got our backsides tanned and sent to bed, like, you know. So if we did anything that wasn't very good, we were out of sight where we weren't going to get caught, like, you know. But it was just a good life, like, you know, of kids. Nobody bothered you. There was nobody about in them days. And uh, any climbers that come about, you know, they were either, you know, Smith, you know, old Jones and Smiths and... The Abraham brothers, they followed, Lee actually followed Washwater Hotel quite a lot. He was a big friend of J.R. Whiting's, like, he used to come over quite regular. And uh, they were great photographers, you know. I know in the Washwater at that time, you know, there was, I don't say dozens, but nearly every room you went in and the bar was sort of full of uh, Abraham's photographs. And there's, there's still some of them in the Washwater Hotel yet, like, you know, that well sort of like. And I think it was them that started the climbing in uh, in Wales because they took a f- photograph from, I don't know, it was off the top of Scarfell Pike or where, but it, it brought these mountains up in the background. And I think they went and they discovered the uh, Welsh mountains, like, you know, and they did quite a bit of climbing down, down in Wales and I think got a bit of pub- publicity for it. And I think that was where it all started, like, you know. Yeah. But in them days, you know, that... Anybody who come to Wasled, you know, they're all climbers and that, because a lot of the younger people had, you know, gone into the, were in the services, like, you know. And uh, it was a time when uh, the lads from the little RAF base on Walney Island, they used to come up every 10 days, and they used to change the battery in a height meter on the top of Scoffle Pike, and they were good lads, you know. They used to all of a Tea, we used to make them ham teas and that. And uh, they always used to give us this, the candy sweets out of the bed boxes. Like, they're, they're all heroes of mine, like, you know. <laughs> uh, but, you know, they were good blokes because they were lads of every walk of life, like, you know, from sign writers to farm lads. There was one farm lad, uh, and uh, I think he, he was born brought up in, in Langdale, like, you know. And he knew the Lake District well. And, you know, there was a big Australian lad called Blossom, and he was a good, very friendly with him. And, and anyways, one day they come and they said, oh, I wouldn't be seeing Blossom again, like, you know. And, you know, that brought the sort of the beginning of things at the war to, to people's lives, like, you know. And there's another three of them. I think it was a misty time. And they're looking for his aircraft that had come down, like, you know, they just were little trainer planes. And they lost another three, I think, looking for him, like, you know. It was just, you know, a very sad time, like. 
And I can only remember one day we were, it must have been about end of April, turning what August of the fell, which is this year's lambs that go away for winter. We turned them to Philip Moldale. And this plane come in, and you could tell there was no way out for it. And it went in, it missed, and you could hear it crash. And it was one of the Polish pilots who had come across to train, you know, for these bombing raids in Germany. And it, just on the top of uh, Lowred Pike, he come to his grief, like, you know. Uh, and they went up and, you know, they just brought his bones back down, sort of in a, in a bag, like. Uh, but there were sad times, and, you know, but there were good times when to be brought up because it sort of let you know the values of life, like, and what it was, you know. I remember going to Whitehaven and there was no cars on the road at all. We went from our place to Whitehaven to get some provisions and the only thing we met was two horses and carts and, on the big rig and one of them turned off to go down to, at Lyme's Road End to go down to St. Bay's like in Whitehaven there was no one about, just a ghost town and I know I was waiting my father and I can always remember there was these three little children come past and they had neither shoes nor socks on and they were as black as the SS beds and winter time they had no clothes on hardly. You know, it was just depression and there was, you know, TB and all that sort of stuff. It was rife in those days, like, you know. Uh, just sad times, really. And is it recognisable now, Wasdale? No, Wasdale is not the same valley anymore. We've been very unfortunate, really. And, you know, I can looking back now, I can remember being in the bar with Ben Ullock where I'm now couple of pints of Guinness and uh, the, one or two farms there was Wastled or Middle Row and Downydale they were belonged to Lord Leckenfield and he had died and uh, the Indian Revenue handed them over to the National Trust you know so it had been taken off the estate as death duty like and that was the beginning of, of the National Trust and Ben Nullock said to me, he said, you know, this is the worst day ever for Wassel Head. And they were the truest words anyone ever spoke. They have just raped our valley and put nothing back. It is absolutely disgusted. You know, there isn't even toilets at Wassel Head. Down on the campsite, there's two blocks down there. But it's Wassel Head where we want the facilities. I know about 50 years ago I tried to get a big car park built just above Lingwell Bridge. You know, there's a big area there which is just stones and one thing or another. And uh, it took 500 cars, maybe more. There's plenty of water there for the toilets. They could have put a good system in there, you know, out of sight for about, I would say, maybe 60, 70,000 quid then. And now it'll cost millions, you know. And uh, I know I eventually fell out with them. There's another man come along, you know, about maybe 20 years ago called Dave Killick, and he tried his best till he died, you know, to try and get something done there. Because they got some... The National Parks put toilets in, and they were sort of, you know, just uh, plastic portaloos to sit up with, you know, washing basins in and stuff. And they were going to man them in the cell for five years, you know, you know to keep them clean and respective and, and get them sucked out and washed aye and after five years the trust was going to have to take them over and after 12 months or so they got permission to you know change the old school into the tourist information centre and the plans to put the toilets in but they wanted to move up near the road and the trust said look if you don't vote for that and anyways they decided the locals said they didn't want to all school moving up near the roads, all right, where it's at. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. And they voted that it wasn't suitable. So they took the toilets away the following week. And there was no toilets there at all. And they were, you know, doing the business, not in the old church, and that's a lock the church. And in the Crabdale, even now, it's just it's disgust for you. And, you know, they've been using it everywhere they could for toilets because there's hundreds go up, score fell. Every day and at the weekends, the thousands, like, you know. Yeah, and obviously the valley's in the shadow of the biggest biggest mountain in England. That's right, aye. Do you approve of tourism in the area? Well, you know, the, the tourist industry, it, it keeps the uh, Lake District solvent, like, you know. We, we need it. 
but it's got to be regulated and it's got to have the facilities, you know. A lot of genuine people come to the Lake District and a lot of people we want. I know this last 12 months, at least since COVID, there's maybe when a lot of people couldn't get abroad, a lot of people who maybe didn't appreciate what the Lake District was all about and maybe lost, left, left a bit of a, a rubbish. And the same with a lot of these people who come to Wastel, they just, the only thing they know is the top of Scorful Pike. About 90% of the people who come. And this, them sort of people weren't educated because they're the ones that leave the litter and this sort of thing. You know, they've never been told what to do with the litter. You know, just leave it on top of Lord Scorful Pike. And I know, you know, this lady who goes up practically every day and picks the litter up and tries and keeps the place tidy. And she does a tremendous job. And they call her Lindsay Book, and she's a godsend to our valley, like, you know. And she devoted her life to it. Yeah, it's a shame it has to be a local person doing it. Well, it is, you know. That sort of thing should be taken care of, like, you know. They should be educated, not to leave rubbish, you know. God, you know, they spend money on education, and it should have been one of the uh, top priorities to learn people to take care of the environment. Yeah. Uh, which is awfully sad. But still, that's life, isn't it? Do you feel a sense of ownership over that place? I did, but now I'm just disgusted. Like one of my late brothers, it was his life like, you know, to keep what's led as it was, you know. And he went up there, like he, he went down to a drink farm. It was a, more of a dairy farm, I like, and uh, at his living. And when he retired, he went up to what's led, you know. He evidently died. He, so they kept the churchyard right and tried to, you know, create a better valley. And he got no no help from anybody, like, you know. It was awfully sad. He broke his heart, aye. But, you know, there's no one supports you. When you come up with anything that's viable, you might as well forget it, because it doesn't work. Aye. The more interesting growing gorse bush in briars where people can get walk through... And the bracken, well, they've educated them, like, you know, since they took all the shape off the fells, the bracken through our fell bottoms, you know, they're a good foot higher, because there's no number of hogs, you know, last year's lambs, they come back, and when the bracken was sort of coming through, they'll nip the tops out of them, you know, and this sort of thing, because there's no, you know, fresh grass on the fells for, you know, until about middle of May onwards, and uh, at that time they would, you know, start and climb out on the fells, like, but before that... They were sort of trailing about the fell bottoms. And ever since then, the bracken have just uh, spread and gone further up the fells, like. Is it still a sheep farming valley? No, no. They don't want sheep on the fells anymore. Uh, if it wasn't for the subsidies and that, it would probably not be viable. You know, the bigger farms, probably yes, but the smaller farms, no. No. How do you feel about that? Disgusting, you know. Like, for, for anything that them sheep put in the environment, you know, the motor cars that come up in what's that in the day would probably equal what they put out in 12 months, you know. And, they, you know, this, what got me annoyed, like, going back I, in, the, in the 60s and into the 70s and that, the sheep got uh, blame for, for eating the fell tops. And it was just some sort of sulfuric acid that was coming out of the chimney at uh, Marchon. Like, I know I went up on the tops of the shape one morning, about five o'clock, and it was sort of a softish morning, and the mist was just hanging in sops. Aye. And when you went through that mist, your eyes burnt and your face burnt. It had this sulfuric acid that was going out of that big chimney that it Marchon in them days. And, you know, all the big trees, it sort of... In that line where the plume was gone, it sort of did away with most of them uh, at that time. You know, since then, the trees come up, it's, you know, over 40 years or so, it's taken their the life. And they've come back, you know, in the spots like, but it just went with all the big trees. And at Marshawn, if there's any cars standing out and the uh, wind dropped, it took the paint off cars like, and there was nothing grew in the gardens. I want cows in there, like, so it wasn't the best of stuff, was it? No. And the poor old Edric got the blame, you know. But they didn't know or they didn't want to know the people who were in charge, like. But it, it's come to a sudden end, like did old White Brighton Wilson, like, you know. 
How important is that sheep farming culture and heritage to you? Well, it's a big heritage. You know, we want to save the Edwig sheep. Like, you know, there's something very, very special about them. You know, they're not, they're maybe now worth the most they've ever done. You know, the, the fat, fat lambs and that sort of thing. Like, you know, some of them last spring, they'll be going for big money. And if I told you what they made, you'd say, that, you know, they're, they're never worth that. But that's the culture at the moment. You know, and the, you know, when the AAC and uh, Europe and Brexit and one thing or another, there's a big change in, uh, in right, going to come right through. And a lot of it's all political, you know, and a lot of it's getting their own back sort of thing. You know, that's why things in Northern Ireland and things like that, which I should never mention, but, you know, when you look at the news, it's better I watch the news because... It's just a lot of bloody rubbish and it gets in your head if you start thinking about it and you can do out about it, so you just might as well not watch it because it's just a lot of twaddle in many cases. But it's hard, I think it's hard for people like yourself because you grew up in this specific place. That's right. You grew up loving and it's changed right. some recognisable. Well, it's it. Like, you know, I like things to be right. I like to say the world got up and everything farmed, you know. Like, you know, when you're getting money to grow saves, we know a lot of them little fields in the Lake District, and it's not a big area. Why the hell gives subsidies to grow saves that, you know, our four elders spend years getting the ground clear, like, you know, it'd be productive. And it isn't a big lot of acres altogether. But I like to say these little grain fields in these world areas and just to look down in the valley and just say, that's how it should be. It would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. Aye. You know, things should be and should be looked after. It's Aye. a hard balance, isn't it? The changing world. It's a balance of... No, I don't, no one cares anymore in the positions where these people should have common sense. It seems as though this particular word has gone out of the window and uh, it's not going to be on the way back, probably not in my lifetime, No. But have you enjoyed your time as a shepherd? I have. I I was lucky, you know. I was I had a lot of sheep, and I had some good dogs, and had a bloody good engine. I could work for twenty four hours and never break sweat. I I did some hard days, like you know, to kill men. I but uh, it's just what I was born with, you know. And uh, I enjoyed my shepherding. I had some dogs with some bloody good engines in them. I could tell you. <laughs> They were tough, aye. Some had one or two with a bit of bark, and other was in good shape anywhere, you know, and were honest, aye. I just, you can't believe the different characters that had four legs, aye. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Did you feel a sense of stewardship over that land as well as the livestock? I did. Uh, I tried to cut the bracken, keep, you know, the ground as it should be kept. Uh, and uh, when I was in full flow, everything was right. If it, every day I had, you know, it was taken up doing something, even if it was raining, you know. If the weather was bad enough, I'd go for a run. That would be the only time, you know, I had to myself. I tried, you know, other times, if it was Sunday morning... You know, at nine o'clock I'd go for a run if I had had time, like, you know. Aye. And uh, that was sort of my luxury break. I go for a long run, just enjoy, th- enjoy the Lake District. Because I tell you what, it's one of the most beautiful places on this earth, you know, for the colour and for the seasons. Our seasons now with this global warming, they're not what they were. You know, when we, we were kids, we had winters, you know, we had snow, we had ice... We had springs, we had summers and we had autumns. And uh, it's going to gradually run into one season if 
things aren't taken care of. Uh, yeah. It's hard to hear that from somebody like you who Well, I've, you so... know, I've been fortunate enough, enough to say it, you know, when it was done with horses, done with tractors, and now it's done out of Whitehall because the people on the farms have no say anymore what they're doing. They're told. And that's the top and bottom of it. Yeah. Do you still enjoy getting out in the fells? I do. I, I love, love the fells. You know, it's the neatest thing to have and you'll ever get by. Aye. And it's so beautiful up there. Aye. If you just go up on them fell tops on top of any of them, you know, I go up on the, up on the Buckborough, up on the Aircock, Seatal and them sort of places with a red pike. And the area is it's very little walked. And many, many times you go up there, you meet nobody. Aye. And, you know, the, most of the people who sort of follow that area, they're doing the Wayne rights and things like that. You know, they're there for a the purpose. Aye. And uh, 90% on them, they'll give us a shout like they want it. Past the time of day, which is very nice, really. Aye. Aye. So when did you discover running? Well, I think the time I was... At my best, was for about eight months there, when it would be about 1957, 50, 58. Be the spring of 59, I think. Aye. My legs come to life. You know, I'd got back from, you know, I'd been a bad back for years, and, and uh, I did the four four passes one morning and I would run them in my, in my big boats and I, I was, you know, it was just a lovely spring morning. They said it wouldn't be quite spring but it was about end of March and, you know, little, little bits of bed ice but now and I, I must have had, a, I had no running shows out then but I was, my legs were good, you know, I got life in them and uh, I know my idea was running in, in two hours like, you know, and I, I got to the top of Stayed. I went over Black Sail, Scarth Gap and Honister. And I dog with it, you know, it wouldn't go on the road. It was one I got from Goddethwaite, just the side of Call the Bridge. I did a, a battle with the house with a car or something like that, you know, it wouldn't go near the road. I didn't realise that I was coming on the road at Gatesgarth. And it went upon flight with Pike Hobbit back at Buildings. <laughs> and it kept off the road all the way. And when I dropped into Saitel, it disappeared like him. When I was coming up nearly at Southway, it was going through fell breast at uh, bottom of base brown. <laughs> and once I got to Stockley Bridge, it'd come back to me. It was like, uh, I, and that morning I got to top of Syed uh, at Stretcher Box and looked at me watch and I had 20 minutes to spare to get into bottom of what we call the fog my little gutter that runs down from Gablenays, like, you know, at least not from Gablenays, from back of Burnthway. And... Uh, I sat up at bridge, just where it goes into the back. And I got down in nine minutes. And I don't think I met a soul that day. You know, I couldn't recommend meeting anybody. I, and it was just a nice sunny morning, like, and it was, you had the world to yourself. It was one of those things you never forget, like. I. What was it about it that grabbed you? It was just a solitude and just something special. As though I had the world to myself, I. And it was just peace on earth, and a very beautiful earth, like, aye, you know, I don't see every bit of it yet, aye. You just sort of never stopped? No, but you know, that morning coming down, like, Stayed was in good nick then, because the, the lensmen looked at it after them in them days, you know. They used to do up to the top of Stayed, and top of Black Sail did our lensmen, and there wasn't a drop of water run on them paths. Uh, and that, they were there till 1974, and the paths were in top condition. There was no washing out anywhere. And you know, within about 15 years, them little runners were coming down the, the paths. There was one there that what we call high-level trod end, where it, you know, path goes up the pillar. There's a little dry, it, it, you know, it doesn't quite get down to main path when it isn't a flood. 
But when it comes to flood, it was sort of picking path up. It went down to Green Hill, like, you know, where you come up where that sail bridge used to be. Sail bridge got washed out, I think, just... It'd be 1939, I would say, but I, you know, didn't know a lot about sail bridge then. But it's... Uh, the large trees that are across there, you know, they're laying back for years and years, and it's just the last few years that they've disappeared, like, altogether. There might be bits of them there, like, yet, like... And... Uh, they never washed out, those paths. And then at top of Black Sail, where the river starts in that little bit of a uh, gale, just where wire, end, where wire crosses and gate is, it started running straight down the path there and it made an awful mess of it, just washed it out like. Well, when the lensmen were doing it, they would have seen that and stopped it. It would never have got down there. Why is it so important to you to keep that land maintained like that? Well, it should be. I, it was there for the people to enjoy and not to destroy. And it was just letting destroy. It, there's nobody stopped it. Everyone, and today, a lot of these footpaths they're putting in make a tremendous job of them. Nobody walking in a pair of boots can wear them blue stones through. And why they did, they've done them twice, three times and that, it, it washes them out. It's the water that you get out in the fells when it's raining for 24 hours and it's still raining. And I've, did, I've done that many times because it's when I went for my runs, you know. And I've seen the water coming on sort of a dry path through the grass and it was whistling, sucking the water out of the, you know, out of the grass and it was just building. I, and it just hadn't to it. And, it, you know, you have no idea the, the strength it's got, like, you know. But it made an awful mess of black sail, that top path. And same with that one that uh, come in off the Green Hill Lane you know, and washed all that out. And over the other side, that path on uh, Kirkfell side, it got below the water table, like, you know, with water coming onto it and frost, and that washed out as well. But if you said, you know, these chaps knew what they were doing. They were trained, and they were... People who cared, you know, that lived in Wassel, and it was part of their life, you know, to keep the water off them. And they only went up twice a year, but they did what should have been done. Aye. You don't mind running in the rain? Say that? You don't mind running in the rain? No, well, I was used with it, like, because it was the only time I could go with a clear mind that I was, shouldn't waste time running when I shouldn't be working, like, aye. Is there, is there something you like about it? Ah, it's very refreshing at the right time here. <laughs> but, you know, there was good garments in them days. You know, I can always remember my father had an old laddish tweed jacket, lamin yows in it, and I used to just put a, a nail in the collar, turned up under my chin, and you could walk, march for days in it, and water would never run through it. Aye. You know, and you get, get those expensive garments now, and some of them want to go straight through, and others, if you put a little nick in them, they're not good, like, you know, it goes from one extreme to the other, like, you know. But they couldn't be, they all natural like, Irish trades and things like that. You know, they seemed as though the oil was still in the, uh, in the wool, like, you know, and it turned water. You say there's all old Edwigs with a good jacket on them, they're, they're out in middle of fields, they're eating grass, and it doesn't bother them, like. And that was what, you know, a lot of this trade was made out on. And, uh, you know, it was a pity, really, that, Wool becomes so cheap and people had to burn it. But, you know, them sort of things, sort of... I don't know if it was political, but, you know, in that big uh, demonstration in Tiananmen Square in, in China, from that day on, our wool wasn't worth nothing. Whether it was political or, it, or what, I don't know. But whether it went to China to make mattresses or what it went, but that was the beginning of the end, like... Uh, but I don't know, I'm no politician... <laughs> but I just know that it was that time when things went wrong in that field, like, you know. Yeah. Aye. Still, that's life, isn't it? It is. Aye. So what, just on the running, Aye. What, what was it about the challenges that appealed? Aye, well, you know, a lot of them things I did, I just did them for my own enjoyment, like, you know. And, like, we're coming up now to this uh, Lake's Maze and Water thing. I did my training one weekend. I didn't you know, do hundreds of miles a week and this sort of thing up to it. 
And uh, on the Saturday morning, I got up and I did the Lakes Mays and Waters till uh, I think it was maybe to Windermere. And then I went back till it was the, uh, let's think, Fairfair Lawshow. And I went back to where it started and I got a lift. It wanted to run us back to. Uh, Back home, I think I took us back home. I had a letters off in Estelle and I went back over Burnmower. And I had a lovely run that day. Aye. And then this following day, I got Ken Ledwood to come out. And he was saying us through here there, and I could tell he was getting a bit miffed. Like, so I said, that'll do, like, he let us off in the car, and I'll get Dave Elliott, a lad I was working with, to just run last leg till uh, from Cthulhu back till the finish, like, you know, and he did. And uh, that weekend, you know, it was just lovely, you know. The sun was shining and you felt as though you were in paradise, like. And anyways, I got, uh, I was working at Sallafield with the apprentices at that time. We got them to man out all the checkpoints. Wanted to get two on each, Lake Maiden Waters, and we got them to collect a bit of money for our disabled children and, uh, and, and grown-ups, like, you know. And uh, they did, you know, so we had a presentation for them after, you know, a few days after. Got them some, I think it was uh, computer-driven uh, stuff, you know, where she could learn to uh, learn the computer side of life in them days. But I know we went to the workshop in, in Dishington where the grown-ups were that just learned to request a, a song on, on Radio Carlisle, like, and they're all lined up with the two bob bits, and, they, you know, they were really enjoying it, like, you know, you thought they were in clover. And you see the smiles on their faces when the name come up, and they, they jumped up and down, like, you know, and it, it was just absolutely beautiful watching them, like. But the poor children that uh, may have failed at uh, Ensingham, you know, a lot of them, you know, had... Uh, all sorts of deformities and that sort of thing. And one of my friends, Audrey, you know, you'd think she was sent from heaven. You know, the little kids, they were dancing around her, she'd learn them to swim, like. And she had a fairy godmother to them, you know, the, the smiles on the faces, and she was getting in the pool with them and, you know, learn them to swim. And I had a thought she was a fairy godmother. I just worshipped her, you know, and these are little people who uh, benefited from the lakes, mares and waters. And, it almost gives us a, you know, a, a, it's sort of a feeling of a bit of pleasure that it's given someone else, you know, and that's what it was all about, like, because I can always remember when we did the, probably the first sponsored run in this country, and it was to finish the uh, scout camp at Annadale, they ran out of funds, like, and Joe Long had uh, got a, a magazine from America, and I think they had a sponsored run in America, and he come to see us, and you know, and uh, then he went back to Sullivan and got someone to do the, uh, you know, commercial side of it. And uh, I think he got a 16 or 17 of us did it. It was a lovely thing because we did it from scout camp and went up onto Great Born and over High Style and, and come in at seat down uh, uh, Scarth Gap at a drink of squash at Black Sail Oats and then back down the forest. And it was, you know, something very special, like, you know... Just say he's doing it today, like it was just, just you know, something that you never forget, like I. And that was where more or less sponsored runs started from. So I can blame Joe Long, Long from that for that, like. And the power man is he's not with us long, any longer, like it. Times took care of him, I. But when you when you started running as well, it was a it was a solitary game for you. It was something uh, you did on your own, I. And but it's clear that you know you're you're such a keystone of the lakes running community now uh, how important is that community for you and what's changed in the running community well it's become more commercialized you know in a big way right i don't say it's the wrong way but it is attracting a lot of these trial races you know which is big money to enter it's become enterprise you know uh in my day you know it was 10 10 bob to enter some of these big races like <laughs> and now that's come you know because in mountain trial and that we get here a bit of food that when you finish, like, you know, and it, I think it maybe was 19 quid or something this year. 
But that's gone back after uh, 62 years, like, you know, it's something... I think I've been very, very lucky, you know, to be still going back after that period of time and, you know, still... But, you know, they put a shot across on for the old boys, which, you know, you, you become one every time. But, you know, I feel very privileged to just be, be here, like, and just doing these things. And uh, it has just become very much commercialised. And uh, a lot of sponsorship, you know, goes to, to, to good causes. You know, I'd rather it went to a good cause than somebody's back pocket, like, you know, which it's gone that way in many cases, like. Uh, it's become a living for, uh, you know, a number of people. I, you know, it's, uh, a lot of them maybe wouldn't be there, the rest if it wasn't commercialised. You never know, you know. It's the hard balance, isn't it? Because I think it, it, is. it gets a, people out. They'd get one thing about it, you know, and it's good. Like this morning we've seen this 10K race here. And then lasses will come in and they were all smiles up and, you know, the, it was... Just a great camaraderie, you know, that it's brought people out and together. And there's little 10Ks, you know, and there's park runs and that sort of thing. It's something that just wants encouraging because they're doing no harm. You know, maybe if it's a muddy, soft ground that isn't well drained, it might paddle up a bit. But it's getting people out and getting people doing things. And it's getting a lot of these people who are sitting looking at a television and four walls out and these people want to get out because if they don't they become depressed and then they, you know they, they, they need help you know and there's a lot of people who need help but don't get it yeah and I I and I read online you, you're quite candid about it eh? I like am you've experienced I've experienced the it. lows uh, in a big way aye and uh, you know that it comes a time and you think, is life worth it? You know, and a lot of it is, in many cases, poverty. You know, these people who, I don't say it's beyond them to work or not, but to see people in, in a poor way of life, there's a lot there, in, just coming to Kendall, I think, this morning, and Marie, she's an angel. You know, she bought him a pie and a, a mug of coffee. And, you know, he put a big smile on his face. He was just sitting there with an empty belly and a, an old baker on his knee. You know, and you don't know why or what's the circumstances. But in many cases, if there's young people had help and got them a life for, with something in it to live for and something to do with their lives, even if it's just run a 10K... There was no one who finished that 10K with a smile on the face and somebody put their arm around them and say, well done, you know. And there are very, very few words to say that and it means so much to older people. Mm. Yeah, and, you know, you said you've had your slumps. How Aye. did you overcome them? Well, in the early days, it was difficult because I couldn't get help. You know, I went to the doctor. And he said in the olden days, I just sat on that leg. Like I was lying down and I couldn't lift it two inches off the ground, my good leg. You know, the sciatic nerve had that much pressure on it. And, you know, the doctor sort of half laughed at us and said in the olden days, he said, they just sat on the other leg and pulled that one back. And I said, what did that occur with? You know, I said, there's something wrong. And in them days, you know, there was no back operations. You know, and then... then Eventually, when I was about nearly 20 years old, there was a chance of getting something done. And, you know, they gave us a permit to leave. And uh, I can always remember the night before I went, you know, on the Friday, Thursday, I got this letter from Manchester Royal Infirmary saying they wanted us in for, for, for Friday morning. And I... Tears rolled down my face. I was getting a chance to live. A life, you know. Because before I couldn't couldn't sleep any more than an hour. And you had to get up next morning and you had to march all day or whatever you're doing, you know. 
Uh, there was no painkillers. You didn't get any sympathy. Uh, and people didn't talk about depression and mental health back then, eh? There was no mental health. No. No. Like, you know, and you, the long nights, like, you know, and, you, you know, if you felt like you're not yet to get them next day, you had to work, even if you, you know, were gathering shape, but get lifted to throw in a little yell or whatever. You just get up and march, like, you just had to do whatever you had to do, like, aye. And uh, it was torture in a very poor way, like, aye. But you, you sought professional help in the end, didn't you? Not then, like, no. I had professional help about maybe just about a couple of years ago. Really? Aye. Uh, everything had gone wrong in my life. Aye. Uh, you know, my missus got dementia and she was in the early stages, you know, and the sad part about it, I couldn't get in my own house. You know, you maybe go out of a night to do, you know, talk to someone some and you come back and you couldn't get in your own house and it was raining. And, you know, he had no jacket out, he just had gone out. And uh, it'd become very, very difficult, like. And you'd go, go back next morning and she'd just deny that you didn't know about it. And then she'd become, you know, slightly violent. And uh, in the finishing, you know, I got divorced. And, and then she gradually, you know, started with a, a type of dementia. Aye, and she's just, she's in her home now, like, aye. And you know you wouldn't wish it any in any to anybody, but she isn't she isn't uh, in my life anymore. You know she's just a body with no mind in it. You know, which is awfully sad. Aye. It's a tough world, isn't it? It is. Aye. But you know them sort of things. You need people to talk to, and you know, and uh, you need something going on in your life. If you know what I mean. Because if you're on your own and you're in a bit, you're sitting looking at four walls, they tell you nothing. No. No. They don't. Aye. And it's the road to nowhere. Fast. Aye. Yeah. But, you know, if you get people out on a Sunday morning and they will all 10k run or a 5k around, them people, it doesn't matter how far down they are, there's somebody who will talk to them and make them feel alive. And life's a very, very precious thing. And it's a richer thing when you're out moving, eh? It is. I went out and seeing things and talking to people. And like I talk to anybody, you know, and all is well. Aye. And I would love to talk to you for another hour, but we're running out of time. So Aye. I am um, at the end of every conversation, I ask people two questions, always the same. Aye. I interpret them as you like. But um, what scares you? What scares us is the way the world is going at the moment and the people who are in power, to put it right, are ignoring it. The big countries like China, Russia and these sort of places. And it's all politically greedy, you know. These people are in power. They're all multimillionaires in Russia and these sort of places and they should now be buckling down and doing something to give the people on this planet a view of life and where it's going at the moment, you know, it's going the wrong way and wrong way fast. What brings you hope? At the moment, very little. And if we get a different view of what the Lake District needs and people who you can talk to, people with common sense, and you can say this should have been done 50 years ago, and it wouldn't be like this today. And the money there to put it right what it should have been like 50 years ago, I would be a much happier man. Because in them days, we know we were clipping shape with a pair of shares. But everybody was happy and a smile on their faces. You could go in the pubs and there was a sing-song. You go in the pubs today, there isn't any locals left. The locals have gone. Aye. And the characters have gone. Aye. We need characters, we need locals, and we've got none of them. And that's what I'd like to say back. In our know, valleys, the locals. Oh, people come to the valleys and have a crack with, you know. Not somebody there who was about 20 degrees and bloody universities behind them, this sort of thing. 
like I've degradation behind my dam, but they're none of none of worked for. <laughs> and if I asked you for a positive close, what would bring you hope? What does make you happy? What does make us happy? Just to sit and listen to a bit of good country music and just think how lucky I am to be able to take it in because there's some great country and western music and uh, I like to hear a song sung where you can understand what they're singing about and I tell you what, it's gone the other way. They've just got some decent music and make a lot of bloody noise and you can't understand what they're saying. I like to just sit there and listen to the song that's sung and sung properly, you know, and, you know, a bit of lift in it, you know, that gets your spirits up and puts a smile on your face. I lent, makes you lengthen your stride and get up. Aye. But, you know, it's got to be something that gives you a lift. Aye. Or something that's very, very soothing, you know. A lot of this orchestral music, you know, if you're sitting there on your own and, and you can listen to those big bands playing and just, you know, I'm not a rager of music, but it's just nice at some point to sit there and listen to clear classical music and uh, these big orchestras. And the people who put the time into, you know, learn music to that standard, they're very, very sincere people. We want more of them. I put a bit of life back into our souls. Aye. I didn't have Joss Naylor down as a country and Western fan. Well, you never know one half it, lad. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Thanks very much, Joss. Aye, my that pleasure. Was Aye. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit theadventurepodcast.co.uk or follow along on Instagram at theadventurepodcast. The podcast is hosted by Matt Pycroft and is produced by Orla O'Murray. If you want to get in touch, then you can do so at info at theadventurepodcast.co.uk and please do leave us an honest review on iTunes and subscribe. Uh, The numbers help us reach a wider audience.